Welcome to season two of the Therapist of Millions podcast, where we get under the skin and into the brains of leading therapists and coaches from around the globe to find out what makes them tick and how they are helping those on the front lines of mental health around the world. Hello and welcome to the Therapist 2 Millions weekly podcast where we get under the skin and into the brains of the leading therapists from around the world and all the way from Las Vegas, hot and sunny Las Vegas. Today we have Alicia Runyon who is the clinical director of Desert Peace Therapy in Las Vegas. Uh, Alicia is certified in parent-child interaction cognitive behavioral dialectical behavioral therapy prolonged exposure, cognitive processing therapy, and trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy. And she provides quality care to promote the highest quality of life, helping her clients seek relief, happiness, and to live mindfully. She's a wife, mother of two children, expecting a third on the way. Congratulations. Thank you. And a free time she loves to spend time with her family, going hiking, camping, and relaxing by the pool. Alicia, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us today. Now, give us a little bit of a background. I mean, I kind of get the Desert Peace Therapy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've seen Las Vegas. I've seen what it looks like. Um, but that's obviously fairly recent that you uh, you started that. So give us a little bit about your journey. Yeah. So um, I had been working for multiple agencies, you know, for the past five years. Um, I'm fully licensed now. And I really wanted to create a private practice that emphasized evidence-based therapy, but also emphasized um, parent-child interaction therapy, which is one of the styles of therapy that I'm certified in. Um, and it is not a very very popular style of therapy, unfortunately, out here on the West Coast. They utilize it a lot on the East Coast and even in the Midwest. So that is primarily what my private practice um, focuses on, working with you know, little kiddos as old as two, all the way up to adults. Um, we do individual, family, couples. It's kind of like an all-compassing center. Mm -hmm. And what was your background in, in, I mean, how did you get into therapy in the first place? Yeah. So I, my bachelor's was in psychology and I graduated. I moved around um, with my husband to, you know, different places in Nevada, Salt Lake, uh, Denver, and then eventually Boise, Idaho, where I was hired as um, a psychosocial rehabilitation specialist. It's quite a name. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And so essentially what the job was is we assisted um, refugees because apparently Boise, Idaho is a main hub where they would receive a lot of refugees and then you would kind of have to help them settle into life uh, oh, in America. Wow. So we would do, um, we would help them, you know, with coping skills, basic living skills, case management skills, teaching them, um, you know, this is how you go through your mail. This is how you sort your bills. These are the coping skills you can utilize in real life that your therapist is talking about in session. Um, we would connect them with interpreters and then resources all within the community. So it was really cool and an extremely fulfilling job. And you'd actually go into their homes. So it was a different setting than, you know, our clinical setting where they come into your office. Um, the relationship is different because you're meeting these 
you know, their entire family, you're working with their entire family, you may be the only American that they really know, like you're sort of like their lifeline. And so I really enjoyed my role. I loved it. Um, and then I kind of wanted to progress. And so I applied to graduate school. Um, I got to University of Nevada, Las Vegas. We moved back to Las Vegas. And I did my master's program in social work so that it could kind of pair. Like I could yeah. do the clinical component. And then I can also um, recognize like the family system and how important resources are. Love it. Now, we're in the UK, Boise, Idaho is famous for Russell Brunson and ClickFunnels. <laughs> do, you know, do you know Russell Brunson and ClickFunnels? I do not. Oh, my goodness. Right. He said I was thinking ClickFunnels and he always talks about Boise, Idaho. So it's like, and, and he said we never heard of it before. So. <laughs> that is it. too funny. The most I knew about Boise, Idaho before moving there was that they um, had a lot of potatoes and that all... One of the my favorite uh, fast food restaurants, Five Guys. I don't know if you've ever. We heard have of that. that here. We love that. Oh my okay, goodness! They get all of their fries from Boise, Idaho. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's amazing. Well, yeah, that's uh, that, that, I love that chain. Actually, it's one of my favorite fast food restaurants. Um, <laughs> it's very. Let's let's go let's go into your practice a little bit. So, <clears throat> when did you set it up? So I started setting it up. Um, January 2022 and as you probably know it takes quite a while to build yeah. and so what I was doing is I would work a couple days in my private practice and then a couple days at another agency and I was kind of going back and forth um, it takes a while out here at least to get credentialed with insurances and all like the back house stuff that you have to have set up um, so it took it took me about a year to get to a comfortable place where I was getting enough um, referrals that I could say, okay, I can leave my steady job and I can kind of branch out and, you know, start my private practice on my own and be completely by myself. What's the biggest challenge you are facing in your practice right now? I would say that Nevada, bless our heart does not have a lot of mental health resources. Um, insurances are extremely difficult to work with. Um, and then there's just a lack of resources for people in general. So if you're working with a certain population, um, you know, anyone who's lower socioeconomic status, there's not a lot of options for them. And it's, it's difficult because, you know, my core foundation is a social worker. I want to try to help. And I know that, you know, you can't talk about or process trauma if this person is at risk for losing their housing or if the kids don't have food to eat um, or if there's high conflict and dysfunction in the home, but there's no resources to kind of wrap around and support the family. So I would say... For myself, that's a barrier that I've run into um, just with the state sort of being behind. But hopefully that will change with, you know, the focus being on mental health um, these past couple of years. Do you, do you know roughly how much uh, sort of um, funding there is available for each uh, 
It's state for I do not know. And that should probably be something I put on my list to research. I know that the um, Department of Family Services, who I've been working closely with, they have been trying to get grants in place, and it's been quite tricky. Um, and I've been working with specific people for this Family Prevention First program, essentially. And it's where the state would kind of refer to outside practitioners mm. um, to get in front of like families losing um, custody of their children or kind of help them sort out conflict so that it doesn't get to a point where the state has to get involved. And even that, even funding for a program like that has been quite difficult. Mm. So I'd imagine it's a work in progress, we'll say. It's a good good opportunity, I think, for you to put out some resources, some free resources for, for people as absolutely. well. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. What, um, in terms of your own mental health, uh, I mean, you kind of met, we mentioned it in, in the, the intro. What do you do to, to look after your own mental health and well-being? Yeah, you know, from an early point in my life, I've always utilized supervision. Um, and I've been very, very lucky to have amazing supervisors and mentors throughout my journey as a therapist. In my graduate program, um, they highly emphasized the value in supervision and the value in like training and kind of knowing what you're doing. Um, I'm able to kind of contact my supervisors to staff cases that have been really difficult for me or if I feel like I don't know where I'm going. Um, aside from that, aside from, you know, my professional life, my home life, I have children, we have dogs, we're quite busy. We love going camping. My husband is very outdoorsy, so he drags us along in the camper and it's kind of nice to disconnect and not have your phone and not think about anything and, you know, go out in nature, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <clears throat> so if, if you had like a top tip in mental health at the moment, obviously get outdoors more, get some vitamin D, get some fresh air, get some oxygen. Um, but what else would you suggest to people looking after their own self-care? And have a fabulous supervisor, I think. Have <laughs> Somebody that you can go to, somebody that you trust, somebody that you're, you know, I was able to do weekly consultations with and even still now fully licensed. I have like a group of therapists where, you know, we'll go out uh, for dinners and just talk and, you know, vent and validate and support each other. And I think that that's really important because yeah. this can be an extremely taxing job and it can be an extremely lonely job as well, especially in private practice if you're not yeah. working with anyone else. So I think it's good to have a strong community. Now, using some hypotheticals and not using any identifying factors, what's an example of a specific success story in your practice? Yes. So I was going to talk about parent-child interaction therapy because I know that um, a lot of people utilize CBT, DBT, CPT, TFCBT, right? Um, but PCIT is not uh, a therapy modality that I think is as popular. 
So um, with PCIT, parent-child interaction therapy, I see kiddos as young as two years old all the way until seven. And the case I was going to discuss was a little boy. I'm going to just call them Johnny, just for the sake. So Johnny was about five. He just turned five. He'd been kicked out of multiple preschools and was causing his parents a lot of turmoil and headache. Um, Johnny was is going to start kindergarten this year, actually. And his mother had to essentially quit her daytime job because they could not keep him in school. He was hitting, running out of the classroom, biting, throwing things. And he was just a danger to the other kids and the teachers. Mm. And so when Johnny came in for an assessment, um, his parents were just completely, you know, they were hopeless. They didn't know what to do. Um, and so during the assessment, the way I started off is it's just a basic assessment. We gather all of the identifying information, history of symptoms, discipline, uh, schooling history, everything. And during the assessment, I had a bunch of toys kind of set out for little Johnny, but he was not interested in any of my toys. He just had his iPad. And about, I'd say, three-fourths three fourths through the assessment, um, he wasn't able to like figure out a level that he was playing with on his iPad. And he actually started digging his nails into his mother and like pooling on her face. His dad tried to calm him down. He started spitting in his dad's face. And so I was able to see like very quickly the nature and what we were dealing with. And his parents, they had no control. They didn't know what to do. So he is a perfect candidate for parent-child interaction therapy. The goal of the therapy is to, is to really reduce problematic behaviors. And we, uh, the way the layout of the therapy is, it's um, divided into two phases. So the first phase is going to work on the attachment bond between the parents um, and reinforcing appropriate behaviors. And then also reinforcing the child's ability to like follow directions, pay attention, focus, um, and then become cooperative. And then the second phase of therapy is called parent-directed uh, interaction. And this phase focuses on effective communication and um, consistent like discipline patterns that don't include spanking, yelling, hitting, nothing aggressive or violent. So what we ended up doing is I had a teach session with the parents following our assessment um, where I taught them pride skills. And so pride skills consists of pride. Pride is the acronym we use just to help people remember. So mm -hmm. P is for praise. So we teach the parents how to label praise, their child praise appropriate behaviors to um, reinforce appropriate uh, behaviors. R is for reflect. So we teach parents how to reflect or paraphrase um, appropriate things that the child is saying. And this enhances like their self-esteem. This lets them know like what they're doing is okay and increases like speech, vocabulary, concepts. I is to imitate. Um, imitate 
So PCIT is a play-based therapy. So parents are going to play with their children in therapy and they're going to use these pride skills. So when we teach them imitation, we teach them like, hey, if your child is coloring, you're also going to be coloring. If they're playing with blocks, you're playing with blocks. D is we teach the parents behavior descriptions, um, which is an extremely powerful skill in turning like a child before they enter into tantrums or problematic behavior. So behavior description could look like you're coloring with the blue block or you're coloring with the blue crayon, I mean to say, or you're sitting so nicely in your chair. You have your hands on your desk. You're working on your homework assignment. These are all behavior descriptions. And then E would be to enjoy or to show enthusiasm while they play. So essentially what we're doing in the first phase of therapy is teaching the parents how to play with their child and how to utilize these pride skills and then how to generalize them into real life. So it's not that, you know, they're putting a blue block on a red block and that's really great. It's that they're learning the skill so that they can say like, you made such good choices today or I can see that you're feeling angry. Thank you so much for telling mommy instead of hitting mommy, right? These are the skills we're kind of trying to convey. And it's easier for everybody if we teach them in play first, because that's how kids learn. So with this particular kid, little Johnny, I could tell that he had such anxiety. He would always want to control the situation. And his parents were so afraid of his behavior outbursts that they allowed this to happen. So they would give him the iPad whenever he wanted just to kind of like calm him, which would just reinforce his problematic behaviors. And they were having to modify their entire lives. Like they couldn't go out to eat. They couldn't really go out in public. They stopped spending time with their family. Um, they had gone on a family vacation and were staying with a family member and were actually asked to leave the family member's house. And they had to resume their vacation in a hotel room because oh, wow. the, the child's behaviors were so significant. So what we do is we teach them these the pride skills in play, in sessions, hour-long sessions in therapy. And then we instruct the parents, okay, so now I want you to have special time with your child for five minutes every single day where you're utilizing these core skills. And that's all I want you to utilize. The play might seem weird. The play might feel uncomfortable, but as you, you know, learn the style, it'll become habitual. And so just in the parents doing the special time with him every single day and giving him the positive reinforcement um, we saw a significant change in little Johnny's behavior. He loved coming to therapy because he got to play with his parents <laughs> and he got a hundred percent of their attention. And then the parents started to feel more confident because they had a plan and they knew how to problem solve. I also was teaching them the skill of active ignoring. So what they would do is any minor attention seeking behavior I would instruct the parent to completely ignore as if, you know, they didn't even know Johnny was screaming at the top of his lungs for the iPad, or if he was saying rude things to them in session, they would turn their back. 
they would continue to play. They would use behavior descriptions on themselves of what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And the second he stopped, they would turn towards him and use a pride skill. Like, oh, thank you for sitting there so quietly. Now we can continue playing. And so this was teaching Johnny what behavior was appropriate and what behavior was not appropriate. Yeah. And then they learned how to generalize this into their home life, which also helped teach Johnny what was acceptable. And he started to learn boundaries and limits. So then enters, once the parents hit mastery of these skills and they feel very comfortable, then we enter the second phase of therapy, which is called parent-directed uh, interaction. And that's where we teach parents really effective communication. So they learn the difference between an indirect command and a direct command, such as indirect command would be like, let's sit down. Should we sit down? Let's clean up. A direct command would be, please sit down. Please put all of the blue cars into this bin, right? Like letting the child know exactly what you want and that the child is the one to be asked to carry the task out, not the two of us. And so following the direct commands, we teach parents in this particular family um, a very uh, distinct timeout protocol. So families know exactly what to do. They know exactly the steps to follow. And they know that, you know, if the child doesn't listen the first time, this is this is what I do. This is how I can handle this problem. And so um, little Johnny actually responded extremely well to the second phase of therapy because I think he started to learn like what what was the expectation, what was expected of him. And then when he um, when he met the expectation, he was given a labeled praise, which made him feel really good. So now he knows, here's the expectation. I did exactly what my parents asked. They feel good, and also I feel good. And so we were able to complete the therapy in 14 sessions, which is pretty typical. PCIT can range anywhere from like 8 to to 22 sessions. Um, Every week we administer an assessment. It's called the Child Behavior Inventory, which essentially lets us kind of monitor typical problematic behaviors in kiddos two to seven years old, Mm -hmm. and we generate a score. And so if the score continues to rise, we know, okay, hey, something's not going right. I, as the therapist, am missing something, or I'm not explaining something in the way that this family needs to understand, and I've got to kind of look at my approach. I've got to dig deeper. I've got to problem solve. I've got to help them. And so it's a tool that kind of helps us guide therapy along. And so this type of therapy is highly successful for families and giving them the skills that they need to, you know, function and enjoy each other's company and love spending time with each other again. I love it. That's brilliant. What a great case study as well. Um, yeah. Now, when it comes to marketing your practice, what, what are you currently doing? So... Because my children are little, um, when people ask me what I do, I proudly tell them. And so the preschools that my my child goes to, they were like, wow, this sounds like something we exactly need. 
So I was able to give them information and handouts. And so they've actually distributed uh, distributed my information to like all, all of the preschools under, you know, that um, sector. And so I've been getting a lot of calls that way. Brilliant. And then because the practice or because the therapy style is evidence based, um, the state actually recommends quite a bit of kiddos over to me. And oh, since there's people uh, certified in this style of therapy, I've I've had a lot of success. Um, I also utilize psychology today, which has been so yep. wonderful for me. Um, I haven't had to do a lot of marketing myself it's sort of been like word of mouth and i think as my practice grows i would love to embark on marketing to just different doctors offices or pediatricians and kind of letting them know what we do well speaking of expansion what are your plans for, for growing the practice yeah so right now it's kind of like a three step it's the first step was establish the practice the second step is going to be okay let's maintain and kind of work in this setting for about a year I'm also having a baby soon, so I decided to just kind of throw that into the mix <laughs> along with starting a practice. Oh, my um, goodness. Yeah, so we'll, I think for the next year, I'm going to see where things go and um, settle into my new family life. Yeah. And then hopefully within a next, another year, hire some therapists and kind of expand. Yeah. That's my goal. Fantastic. Now, if you could write a book, what would the title be? Or if you've uh, already started writing a book, what's the title? Yeah. So I'm probably not as clever as the other people I've heard on your podcast before. And I thought hard about this. And so my main focus in therapy is behavior modification. And then also recognizing like cognitive distortions and the power that our perception has on things. And how it can really, in our thoughts, can really influence our feelings and our actions and our behaviors. So I would probably go with something like reframe your thoughts starting today. Because I just think that reprogramming our thinking, whether it's about parenting or just our perception on life in general, is so beneficial. And it it's so versatile and it can kind of help every single person it encompasses. Absolutely. And uh, now on the subject of books, what's your favorite therapy book that you've read? Yes. So there is this DBT therapy book that I utilize. It's called Adolescence um, with DBT and it's by Alec. And for some reason, I forgot to grab it right before we started. I forgot <laughs> to pull it out, but I utilize it in almost every single case that I have. Um, and if you give me two seconds, I can grab it. Sure. Everything. Oh, here it is. Sorry about that. It's called DBT Skills Manual for Adolescents by Alec L. Miller. And I utilize this book for group therapy for teens that are emotionally dysregulated. Um, any teens that have problems or conflict with their parents the book is such an easy read um and it has handouts for your clients which i love to give people handouts and something to take home with them it has homework sheets practice assignments and then it also gives the therapist 
such a wonderful way on how you could present the information. I think it's really powerful. And I, I love this book. Fantastic. We'll include that in the show notes, a link to that. And it's another one to add to our library because we haven't seen that one before. Yes. <laughs> now, tell us a fact that blows our minds or tell us a joke okay. of the kind to win your three months free membership to the Therapist of Millions. Okay. So my facts are going to be Las Vegas based because okay. we love having tourists come and visit our city. So, and this is probably a given, Las Vegas has the most hotel rooms than any other city on the earth yet but it's also the brightest place on earth it's not great for stargazing (laughs) and then the bronze lion that sits in front of the mgm which is like classic you think of the mgm you think of the bronze lion Mm -hmm. it's actually the largest lion in the world oh my goodness wow i didn't know that or I certainly about the brightness as well. And I didn't even know <laughs> hotel rooms, but I could guess that one. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, three months free membership coming your way. That's definitely blown our mind. And uh, and finally, how can people get hold of you? Yes. Yeah, so Psychology Today is where most of my clients reach out to me. You can find me, Alicia Runyon, LCSW, um, or my website, www.desertpeacetherapy.com. And you're also available on social media? I don't have social media at this time. I know I'm one of like the anomalies, but in the future, I will work on that. <laughs> well, you're lucky because uh, Dr. Susie and I are running a, uh, we're doing an update of our TikTok module from the third oh. millions. And because uh, Dr. Susie's had nearly a million views on one of her TikToks now uh, on That's narcissistic amazing. behavior. So, uh, and I'll tell you straight hot off the press, it's on the 10th of July. So your membership's going to cover that. So you can watch that with us. Uh, you can be part of it. Um, so yes, also, if you're listening to this, it's 10th of July. We're updating our TikTok uh, module on the Therapist to Millions membership. Um, so yeah, be part of that. Come along and, and, and have a listen. That is wonderful. Thank you so much. Fantastic. And I thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule. Thank you for everything you're doing on the front lines of mental health. We really appreciate you and your work. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to be on here and speak with you. Wonderful. And you take care. Thanks, Alicia. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. 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 If you would like to take part as a guest on the Therapist of Millions podcast, simply email me, damien at therapistofmillions.com. That's Damien with two A's as all of the guests on the show will get three months free access to our Therapist of Millions membership worth $300. So if you would like to know how to write a best-selling book, secure a TEDx talk, create membership sites with content you don't even have to create, build client acquisition funnels, effective lead magnets, or your very own podcast, and way more besides, why not head over to thetherapistofmillions.com and join our community of like-minded professionals. And if you'd like an additional $20 off your membership, simply type in the coupon code PODCASTLISTENER at the checkout.